Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Sol. And it's a great privilege to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Today is the 24th of Shvat, and that means tomorrow is the 25th of Shvat, actually this afternoon, from sunset this afternoon until tomorrow is the 25th of Shvat. 25th of Shvat, the Yotzat of the great Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. Um, Rabbi Yisrael was one of the greatest Jews that has ever lived, a person of tremendous piety and scholarship and leadership. And so, since it's the Yotzat of Rabbi Yisrael, um, I thought it's it's relevant and it's appropriate to talk a little bit about this great man and his tremendous impact on um, world Jewry, in particular on Lithuanian Jewry, but on world Jewry, because as we'll discuss, we'll see how the efforts and the teachings of Rabbi Yisrael have had a, a major impact on Jews all over the world. Rabbi Yisrael was born in 1810 in Lithuania. Um, he died in the year 1883, so it makes tomorrow the 139th Yotzat of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. Now, if in order to understand Rabbi Yisrael, in order to appreciate what he did, um, what his impact was, and how his focus was such a significant contribution to the Jewish people, we need to have a little bit of a understanding of the world he lived in and the circumstances of the Jewish people in the 19th century. So we're talking about the 1800s, the mid-1800s. And there was a lot of movement, there was a lot of change, there was a lot of turmoil within the Jewish world. But Yisrael, as we mentioned, was born in Lithuania. Um, and uh, the influences of Western Europe were very, very strong on Eastern European Jewry too. What were those influences? So we know that there was modernization within Western European Jewry. There was the coming of reform and reform Jewry. And these influences then spread east as well. And you had this movement called the Haskalah, the Maskilim. The Haskalah were individuals that attempted to undermine and change the social and educational fabric of the Jewish people. And they had an intellectual belief that they knew what the solutions were, they knew better than everybody else, and even if the other people didn't know, they were convinced of their understanding and of what they thought was right for all of the Jewish people. And the Haskalah is a classic example of the arrogance of intellect, and uh, because they were so convinced in their way and in their approach, um, not so much the approach, but in, in their beliefs, in their system that they developed. So they, they felt that any means were justified in order to achieve their goals. And um, often they actually turned to means that were illegal, means that were immoral. Um, they, they were not frightened to really um, employ any methods possible in order to achieve 
what they wanted. And the, uh, they strongly believed the, the Maskilim, the Haskalah, the individual Haskalah, that the way we could perhaps translate it, the way it is translated is enlightenment, the movement of the enlightenment, is they believed that um, the structure of the society of East European, East European Jewry had to change. Now remember in Eastern Europe there was tremendous anti-Semitism. It wasn't just anti-Semitism on the ground. It was official anti-Semitism that came from the Tsar and came from the rulers of Russia. And the, there were these uh, claims and accusations um, through the, the ages within Russia that the Jews were lazy, that the Jews were not patriotic, that the Jews were not industrious and would do, were not involved in productive labor. And the Maskilim, they actually tended to side with those accusations of the Tsar and say the Tsar's right. And all of those things that they, the anti-Semites um, throw at the Jews are correct. And therefore the Jews must change and the Jews must break out of their traditional system. And the only way to um, succeed as a Jew in Eastern Europe would be to change the system of education, the Cheder system, to break down the Kehillah, the way the communities worked, and to open up and embrace um, secular Russia and the ways of the Tsar and the Russian people. Now, they were right about certain things, the Maskilim. You know, the the Jewish world at the time was far from perfect, and there were many issues. Um, very often it wasn't so organized, and within the Cheder system, the teachers weren't necessarily trained as good teachers. Uh, often the wrong people were teaching. And, of course, there was tremendous poverty within the Jewish communities in Eastern Europe. And there was squalor and there was corruption. There was corruption. The power was based with the leaders of the Orthodox Jewish world. And uh, often there was corruption in the way the uh, society was run. And so, therefore, any association with the old life and the old Jew was really associated with Torah and with the traditional way of living. And so the way the Haskalah presented it was that if a Jew wants to have a new life and a better life, they have to break out of the shackles and the change of the old traditional world. Now, remember, there was terrible suffering and oppression of the Jewish people in Russia. Uh, Russia at the time was a massive empire which encompassed all of the uh, Eastern European Jewry. So you know, today what would be Belarus and, uh, and uh, Lithuania and uh, all of those areas of Eastern Europe, um, Poland, were, they were all part of Russia. And the, the suffering was terrible, absolutely terrible, the hands of the Tsar and the army of the Tsar. Um, the, the 19th century was the worst century up until then of anti-Semitism for the Jewish people. Now, we know it wasn't anything new. Anti-Semitism has been around and has been tremendous oppression of Jews throughout the centuries. But it was it reached its peak in the 19th century. We it kind of, uh, you know, everything is dimmed and is, is, is in the shadow of the Holocaust um, because obviously we know the Holocaust was nothing uh, rivaled or was as... as uh, Horrific as the Holocaust. It was a whole new level, but it doesn't mean that times before were, were not terrible for the Jewish people. And certainly in the 18th century and in the 19th century in particular, 
Um, it was really bad for the Jewish people. Jewish children were kidnapped and they were sent to the army for 20 years. Um, the, the suffering and the deliberate suffering at the hands of, of the czarist government was just indescribable. The infant, infant mortality rate amongst East European Jewry was around about 40%. Um, uh, there was no sanitation. As mentioned, the poverty was absolutely grinding in the shtetl. Uh, one of the great distortions of history is that everything was beautiful in the shtetl and the music was playing and there was fiddler on the roof every day and everybody was smiling. It wasn't like that at all. It was a very difficult environment to be in. It was the squalor was unimaginable, certainly for us living in modern times and in these comfortable times. Uh, it, it was just the conditions were indescribable. There was no sanitation and the, the, so, so that whole world and that whole life was associated with traditional Jewry and was, was associated with Torah. And so the Maskilim said that the only way to get out of this miserable existence is to create a new world, a new society and embrace the new modern ideas that are emerging within Western Europe. Um, so we see the environment was was quite charged and was very difficult and oppressive for the Jewish people. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the very difficult circumstances and conditions for the Jewish people in Eastern Europe um, in the middle of the 19th century. And as a result, there were, there were tremendous pressures coming from the new ideas that were emerging in Western Europe, um, the ideas of secularism. And, uh, of course, you also had the Jewish communists and the Jewish socialists who believed in this utopian society that would be achieved if the communist uh, principles were followed. And so there was uh, the, the orthodox traditional establishment really was under attack and uh, found it difficult to deal with all of these pressures. Um, the, the, because of the um, impossible circumstances, the immigration was very high at the time. People just wanted to get out of this, uh, this disaster and these terrible living conditions. And uh, so in the, the latter part of the 19th century, more almost 3 million Jews left Eastern Europe, left Russia. Almost 3 million Jews. It's a massive number, isn't it? Most of them going to the United States and uh, some of them coming to South Africa, of course. And that's how we uh, developed a community here in South Africa. But people just wanted to get out. They wanted to escape the horrors of the poverty and of the lack of opportunity and of the suffering that was the fate of a Jew in Tsarist Russia. And uh, the, the rabbis actually discouraged immigration at the time because, they, you know, for a Jew to go to the United States to keep Shabbos was almost impossible. There was very little orthodox infrastructure um, outside of Eastern Europe at the time. And so the rabbis discouraged Jews leaving because they knew that if they left, it would be very difficult for them to keep up the observance 
and to keep up the mitzvahs. Um, and that, you know, went on. A Jew was very hard for a Jew to keep Shabbos and not to work on Shabbos. Um, not only then, but it's, that carried on even into the 20th century. You know, Baruch Hashem, thank God, the world has changed now and it's much easier. And there's much more tolerance of one's religious requirements. But back then, I, Rabbi Wan, I remember he told me that his father had a very big shul in Chicago. And he said in the 1950s, um, they had a hashkama minya, you know, one of the great, um, bonuses of, of, uh, of a Jew is to have a hashkama minya. You know, people think that the shechina is only present at the hashkama minyan and not the later minyan. People like to have an earlier minyan Shabbos morning because then they do away with all the crowds and all the, the time wasting schlepping out. They don't have to hear the rabbi's drosha. They don't have to hear the chazan. So hashkama minyanim have been a part of Jewish life for many centuries. So Rabbi once said the Ashkama Minyan in, in Chicago in the 1950s, there were 700 people, 700 men. They came to the Ashkama Minyan, they died in Shachris, they heard Kriya Satora on Shabbos morning, and then off they went to work. And they had no choice. That was the only way they could survive. And the consequence was that their children didn't go to the Ashkama Minyan, their grandchildren knew nothing, and their great-grandchildren married non-Jews. That was the pattern. That's what happened in, in the United States. So it became very, you know, so, so the rabbis discouraged Jews to leave Eastern Europe and go to the States. They discouraged them to leave and to go to Israel, and to go to Israel and to be a socialist, to be a Zionist, a socialist, to have to follow Ben Gurion and Weizmann, you know, that, that was not an attractive option, um, for an observant Jew. So, so the, the circumstances were very tough. The conditions were terrible. There was massive immigration and these pressures from the Maskinim, from the, Secularists who said the only way out is follow the demands of the czar, and you had the communists, you had the socialists, um, um, and all of these pressures were very much present in um, the middle of the 19th century in Eastern Europe. It's also important to mention Hasidus that at that time the revolution of Hasidus had taken place, and that also really rocked the foundations of the Orthodox world. Um, although the the success of Hasidus was incredible, and there's no question that it saved hundreds of thousands of neshamas of Jewish lives, and it brought Yiddishkeit to uh, the neshama, the soul of Yiddishkeit, to so many hundreds of thousands and millions of Jews, which was essential, which really saved them during those treacherous times, those spiritually treacherous times. But having said that, the um, fact that there was a movement that challenged the traditional establishment and that succeeded really uh, shook the foundations. So, you know, the, 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 the Gun, the Vulna Gun, the greatest uh, rabbi alive was against it and they still uh, persevered and won and continued. The Hasidic revolution was successful. So that meant that you can challenge any rabbi or any great rabbi. The whole system was now challenged. So that was the environment in which Rabbi Yisrael Salanta entered. Comes Rabbi Yisrael, and this is the Jewish world that is surrounding him. Um, so as mentioned, Rabbi Yisrael was born in 1810, and he died in 1883. And um, he saw, he, 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 firstly, it's very important to mention, that Rabbi Yisrael was a tremendous Talmud Chochem, an unbelievable Talmud Chochem. His knowledge of Talmud and his ability to explain Talmud was, was uh, very... Um, 
famous, was renowned, and was unmatched, was, was unparalleled in, in the Europe at the time. Such was his genius, and such was his piety, that it, although there were those that opposed Rabbi Yisrael and his approach, and I'll describe to you very shortly what they opposed and why they opposed it, um, nobody ever questioned the piety of Rabbi Yisrael, the fact that he was a tremendous tzaddik, a man of great sincerity and truth and and um, integrity, and a man of tremendous Torah knowledge. That was never ever questioned. So Rabbi Yisrael, he he saw the right way, the the the, the way to deal with Haskalah, and he was very um, vociferous in his opposition to the Haskalah. He said the Haskalah is going to uh, create a situation where we have non-Jewish Jews. That's what Rabbi Yisrael said. He said that 150 years ago. And he was prophetic. He, he saw into the future. Isn't that unbelievable? He saw what the result would be that we'd have very secular Jews that know very little about Judaism and very little about the observance of Judaism and Torah of real authentic Judaism. It will be, it will create a generation of um, ignorant Jews and that would lead to, to Jews moving away from Hashem, from Torah, from the mission of the Jewish people. And so he was very strong in his opposition to the Haskalah. And, and you know exactly what we said, that there would be non-Jewish Jews. That's exactly what happened. We see it around us in the Jewish world today. And we have seen so for the, the last uh, 80 to 100 years. So Rabbi Yisrael said that we do need to develop means of dealing with this critical situation and of countering the Haskalah. Now, he did, he was uh, in touch with and did um, meet with Rav Shimshon Hirsch in Germany and Rav Heldesheim in Germany. And they were two of the leading Rabbonim who were facing this uh, change of Western thinking and Western ideas um, that were in West in Germany. And uh, they were they were trying to deal with that challenge and successfully so. Um, Rav Shimshon Hirsch's approach of Torah im derech Eretz, that one could be a religious Jew and still succeed in society, succeed in business, succeed in one's profession, be a professional. It's not a contradiction to being an observant Jew. And in fact, on the contrary, um, the worldview of Torah very much uh, enhances one's ability to succeed in life and to create a, an, an impact in, in broader society. That was the approach of Rav Hirsch and Rav Heldesheim, also similar to Rav Hirsch. And he opened seminaries for boys and for girls, and he tried to uh, bring in that um, melding together uh, the new understanding the, of, of Western South freedom, of democracy, of, of liberty, and together with the um, observance of Judaism. Rabbi Yisrael felt that that approach was not um, appropriate for Eastern Europe. And we have letters where he wrote to Rav Heldeheim. Heldeheim suggested that he actually, uh, very interesting, he wanted a haskama from Israel. He wanted to raise money for his seminaries in Germany. And he said if Rav Yisrael signed a letter of approval, so there were many wealthy people throughout Europe that would then contribute to his cause, Rabbi Israel said, um, I respect you very much and I do not question at all your sincerity and your piety. However, um, I do not believe that this is the correct approach in dealing with our scholar and dealing with the new changes of the modern world. Uh, Rabbi Israel felt that the 
the compromises made when mixing secular education with Torah education in the same institution, they would, although a person maybe would gain Torah knowledge, that person would lack in Yerush Shemaim. They would lack in the overall reverence of HaKadosh Baruch of Hashem and of serving Hashem. And that's really the essence of what it means to be a Jew. So he was very concerned about that. And as a result, Rishol developed what's called the Musa movement. Now, the Musa movement, the word Musa comes from Mishle, it means um, discipline, self-control. Uh, Rav Yisrael, he emphasized the importance of a Jew being consciously aware of his or her obligations in this world. Ma What are we doing here? Why are we in this world? Why did Hashem create the world? What are the mitzvahs for? And what are we doing in our everyday lives? And he emphasized the magnificent teachings of the Torah that we are here in order to develop ourselves, in order to develop our neshamas, in order to become noble human beings, to learn self-control, and to really overcome our lower animalistic self. That the the, the Musa, the great, uh, what Rabbi Yisrael emphasized was the importance of studying the classical works of Musa. Um, at the time, so a, a Torah scholar would spend all of his time in studying the Talmud, and the Talmud is intricate, and the Talmud is vast, and the Talmud is very intellectually demanding. And before, up until that time, as a result of studying the halachic arguments in the Talmud, a person would have a very healthy, broad view of what it means to be a Jew and what our obligations are as um, Jews. That's uh, that was a very clear, a very clear approach of 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 the. In other words, the the, the Jewish people. That was sufficient to study the Talmud and have a, a very strong grounding in the Talmud would be enough for a person to have a healthy approach to life and understanding of what we're supposed to be doing now of serving Hashem. But Rav Yisrael felt that uh, the level of cholesterol that dropped, and that is a, a normal consequence of time, that's something that we call Yeridus Hadoras. It means a, a dropping of the level of the generations. As we move further away from Harasinai, from Mount Sinai, so we lose a um, attachment and perspective of that incredible event that took place and that understanding of what God wants from us. So we get weaker and lower as the generations move further away from Har Sinai. And therefore, Rabbi Yisrael, he, he was very strong on people consciously studying the great works of Musa and those being in the forefront of our minds. And those teachings, those ethical teachings of the great uh, Musa giants would be the motivation and the conscious understanding of every Jew. And the classic works of Mesidus Yusharim and of, which is uh, written by Rav Moshe Chaim Luzato, the path of the just, and of um, Derech Hashem, also written by Rav Moshe Chaim Luzato, and Chova Salavavos, written by Rabbeinu Bechaya, and Sharei Tshuva, written by Rabbeinu Yona, and um, Orchos Tzadikim, all of these great classical ethical works, Rav Yisrael said it's very important that we study them and we um, not only study them, but we actually allow them to move us. We don't just read through them. You know, that's often how um, we we live in a very superficial world, especially with our social media and modern technology. And, you know, the written word doesn't count much. And 
we, 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 there, there's so many thousands of words and of images that flash before our eyes every day that nothing really has a sanctity and a power. But the way we're supposed to learn Torah, we're not reading a website or a newspaper. These are deep words that have tremendous meaning and significance and power. So Rabbi Yisrael, he, part of the um, Musa teachings that he um, emphasized were that we go over the same line many, many times. And we allow it, we repeat it, we repeat that, that idea, that concept, until um, it actually enters into the depth of our being, until we meditate over those concepts, until they become a part of us, until we, we properly integrate what they're saying, and we, we have those words in our consciousness, and we're thinking about them all the time, and we are relating back to that framework constantly. That's, that's the real study of Musa. And Rabbi Yisrael said that would bring out the best in Klai Yisrael, and that would allow the Jewish people give us the ability to deal with the challenges of the time. Um, and part of that Musa revolution was uh, dressing in an immaculate way. Why do we dress in an immaculate way? Because we're representing the Neshama. The Neshama, we all are made up of two parts which is a very classic uh, Musa teaching, made up of the body, we made up of the soul, and the purpose of life. So the great, so the Torah teaches us. The, the, all the ethical works are just bringing out what God told Moses and the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. It's not new. They're just emphasizing what it is that God wants of us. Um, so the, the, they explain that the journey of each individual is to overcome our lower selves, is to let the soul be dominant over the body, is to nurture the soul, and let the soul be the rider, and the body is the horse, and not the other way around. Unfortunately, most of humanity lives in a way where the horse is leading the rider. In fact, the rider has no voice at all, and uh, most of the world doesn't even acknowledge that there is a rider. We're just a body, and the body is free to chase after its appetites, its insatiable appetites for power and pleasure. That's how the world operates. That's not how the, the Jew lives. The, the mindset of a Jew is the neshama, the high, magnificent, pristine, perfect neshama that is eternal, that lives forever. That even though, even when we die and our body returns back to the ground where it came from, the neshama carries on and it, it carries on its journey and it's eternal. Sometimes we come back and we're reincarnated. Sometimes we finish off our completion of our journey and our rectification in the spiritual worlds. That's Hashem's calculations, but we are here in order to feed that neshama, to perfect that neshama, to give strength to the neshama, and to dominate and let the neshama dominate the body and control the body. That's the function of a Jew in this world, and that's the basic foundation of Musa teachings. Rabbi Shal said when we emphasize those teachings and we understand them clearly, so then we uh, would easily have the tools to deal with the challenges of the time and Haskalah. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We've been discussing the amazing introduction of Rav Yusuf Solanta to the Jewish world of this emphasis of Musa, meaning 
studying the classical works of ethics and character development. So Rabbi Israel saw that there was a great need to deal with the pressures of the time, which were significant. The traditional Jewish world was in turmoil, the suffering, the anti-Semitism, the hardship um, that was imposed upon the Jewish people as a result of the oppression of the Tsarist government, the um, massive moves and pull of immigration um, to leave Eastern Europe and to throw off the shackles of traditional life um, together with the Haskalah and the, uh, the, the Jewish socialists and communists. So there was a lot of pressure on the, the Jewish world in Eastern Europe. And Rabbi Israel felt that by each Jew being aware of our properly, consciously, very um, clearly aware of our mission in this world, our purpose that we're here, and the, 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 the goal of the life of each and every Jew, so that would be the most effective tool in resisting these uh, very strong winds of change that were in the 19th century in Eastern Europe. And the, the works of Israel, the efforts were mammoth, and he, he traveled across Eastern Europe and he shared his vision and his understanding. And although there was opposition to him, um, we in the traditional Jewish world are very reluctant to change anything and to, um, and to welcome new ideas and new innovations because, um, the understanding is that the traditional way that the Jewish people have lived for uh, centuries um, is the authentic um, way of life that God has uh, taught the Jewish people and the Jewish people have followed. And so we're very suspicious and very skeptical of major changes and innovations and certainly to our educational system. So now Rabbi Yusuf is saying that some time should be taken from the regular learning of Talmud and it should be dedicated in each of the great learning institutions in Lithuania to Musa, to learning character development and and the meaning of life, what we're doing over here. And so many felt that, you know, such a change wasn't necessary, such a change would be um, destructive and would be a shift from our traditional ways. And so there was opposition towards Rabbi Yisrael. But as time went on, people understood what he was saying and got the he, he saw very clearly what Rabbi Yisrael, what his vision was and how accurate and how powerful his message was. Rabbi Yisrael was very famously inspired by an, uh, an incident. One um, night he was walking to, to Shul, was Elul, and they were saying Slichus. You know, we say Slichus uh, before Rosh Hashanah. Some said early in the morning, some said late at night, often midnight. And Rabbi Yisrael was after midnight. And as he was heading towards Shul very late um, in the night, he heard... The, a shoe repairer, a, a person who repairs shoes, I, I don't know what that's called, is a, is a shoemaker, a shoemaker working in his workshop. And Rabbi Yisrael, like followed the sounds and he went to the workshop and he said to the, the, to the shoemaker, is it too late to get my shoes repaired? And the shoemaker answered and he said, as long as the candle is burning, it's still possible to repair. And Rabbi Yisrael said those words, entered into his heart like an arrow. They had a real significance on him. And he would teach with great inspiration that as long as the candle is burning, as long as one is still alive, it's still possible to repair one's soul. And the job of 
every human being, and in particular, Klal Yisrael, is to repair our soul, is to work on our weaknesses, is to overcome our lower selves, is to fight those physical body, bodily urges which are very powerful and very strong, and to let our soul um, be in control and lead us in to building a connection with Hashem and a connection with with ourselves, with the, the, the essence of our being. And that's why there's so much sadness and depression in the world is because people, the soul doesn't have a voice. The body is so dominant and so powerful that their magnificent spiritual essence is completely ignored and is, is uh, crowded out and is not heard. And that, and, and there's only so much physical pleasure we can get, but it still leaves a void. It still leaves a hole. It still leaves a, a wanting within a human being. And that's why it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing. We see that the people that are very talented and are very successful, you know, uh, a, a good example is the rock stars, the, you know, the people that are the, the great rock um, stars or the great actors in Hollywood. These people are very talented and have achieved great things in their careers and are very wealthy. But very often they're the saddest people in the world and they, um, the amount of overdoses that take place, um, from that part of society is frightening. And one would think, you know, that doesn't make any sense. These people have really achieved the pinnacle. They've achieved everything that we're striving for. They're talented. They're wealthy. They're famous. Why are they all, um, committing suicide and, and overdosing? And the answer is because the soul is not nurtured. And because there's no spiritual content to their, their life and their world. And it's a very superficial existence, especially today with social media, with Instagram, with Facebook. It's all completely superficial. There's no depth and content and inner work and striving to develop oneself and to develop a relationship and to be able to hold oneself and one's own needs back and create space for another and see the needs of the other, of one's spouse. And to do so for one's children too. And then to see Hashem in the world. And to do so for Hashem as well. And to let the neshama fly. Let the neshama free. Let the, the soul be powerful and dominant. And make the, the important decisions in our lives. Call the shots in our world. That brings us a feeling of satisfaction. Of fulfillment. Of contentment. Of achievement. Of true serenity in life. By having that spiritual content and that spiritual um, growth that that we are supposed to be doing, so Rabbi Israel taught these lessons and said that they need to be at the forefront of of our minds of Klal Yisrael, and they need to be, and therefore we need to learn Musa that in every yeshiva and all the great Talmudic institutions in Lithuania that they should have time set aside in order to learn Musa, in order to learn about character development. And about and learn the the, the great Musa works, and as a result, Rabbi Yisrael really changed the face of of East European Jewry, and the these Musa Sadorim were introduced. He introduced something called the Beisam Musa as well, which is a specific base midrash to learn Musa. And today, as a result of Rabbi Yisrael's great work, um, there's no traditional yeshiva today that doesn't have a Musa Seder at this time. Usually a half an hour a day, and the yeshivas I went to it was just before. 
uh, was after morning Seder, just before Mincha. Mincha was one of five, so we learned Musa from usually about 20 to 1 for 25 minutes. But that was a time set aside to learn these ethical works and make sure that we're working on ourselves as we should and we're very clear in terms of our life and our purpose in this world. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the great Muslim teachings of Rabbi Shoslant and how he transformed the Jewish world. And the Muslim movement brought a consciousness and awareness of the mission, of, of the purpose of the Torah and the mitzvahs. And of uh, life as a Jew. And Rabbi Yisrael emphasized many times that the Torah and the mitzvahs are there in order to enhance our spiritual journey, in order to do the inner work of each individual. Um, we, we learn to follow the mitzvahs of the Torah, which builds a relationship between us and God and gives strength and power and voice to the soul. We resist the temptations of this world and we don't transgress their various because that damages our relationship with Hashem, and that weakens our neshamas, our souls. And each Jew should be very switched on and aware and connected with Hashem, building that loving relationship with God and being able to live a life of awareness and of consciousness of what our purpose is and what each decision we make, what each step we take in our lives, how that affects the bigger picture and whether that gets us closer to our goal and our purpose in this world or takes us away from our mission for which Hashem created us. So that's the basic Aleph base of being a Jew, of having that consciousness and not giving in to the temptations and the easy way out and the lower urges of the body, what we call the Yetzirah, the, the, the principle that the Musa giants explain about the inner workings of a human being is so magnificent, it's so powerful and he's so beautiful to work with. It gives us the tools to do the inner work we're supposed to. That we have the body, the Yetzirah. We have the the um, Neshoma, the Yetzirah. And these two inner aspects within every human being are in constant tension. There's a constant clash between our lower self and our higher self. And the successful person, uh, the spiritually successful person, will have the strength to resist those lower urges and to say no to ourselves, and the and the person who is not working on themselves, and the person who is not developed and evolved spiritually, will very easily and comfortably give in to those temptations and urges of the age Sahara. And the purpose of life is to develop and grow and learn that self-control, and say yes to our higher self and no to our lower self, because there's a part of our being that wants to sabotage everything. And there's a part of our being that wants us to achieve our great potential and connect with God. And Musa clarifies that inner struggle between a human being and reminds us of those constant challenges and tests that we face every day in our lives. So it's been beautiful to speak about Rabbi Israel and, uh, and share what he did for the Jewish world. Uh, we'll end off with one um, beautiful uh, vignette. The, the great Rav Simcha Vassaman visited South Africa. And uh, upon his return to Eretz Israel, he told South Africans and some of his comedian that were South Africans, Eretz Israel, he said that in South Africa, I see the the work of Rabbi Sol Salanta 
um, in practice. I see in the midas, in the character traits of South African Jewry, the intention of Rabbi Sosolanta in his Muslim movement, which is quite a beautiful, a beautiful compliment to South African Jewry, who are mostly descendants of Lithuania. And it's very clearly describes to us what Rabbi Yisrael did and what his intention was. Um, so we remember Rabbi Yisrael on his uh, 139th yacht site, which is tomorrow. And please God, we should all be inspired to achieve our purpose in this world and to understand very clearly what it is we're doing over here, why Hashem created us, and have the strength to fulfill our holy mission. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.